For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. I was surprised he wasn't more angry at the doctors about like what happened and wanted to like do lawsuits because that's what people would do. And we're not rich and he's not rich. He has no money. It's funny. A lot of the people, they'd come up to me on the street and they'd be like, what happened to your arm? And I would tell them a little bit of it, you know, and they'd be like, oh, so the doctor messed up. They're like, how much money did you get? And I'm like, uh, nothing. And they're like, well, what do you mean? You could get a lot of money. And, and, and I explained to them. What God did was so much more valuable than money. I truly do think back and think of this as probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Hidden within the tumbling blocks of Big Joe's suffering is a paradox. As his pain got worse, as he was subjected to more and more surgeries, to more and more mistakes, as the vision of losing his arm was nearly fulfilled, Big Joe's faith in Jesus Christ only strengthened. Woven within the threads of that paradox is the question we started with. How do you reconcile human suffering with the existence of an all-powerful and all-loving God? I think of the, the church Smyrna in the book of Revelation. And, and Smyrna, it literally means myrrh. You know, And myrrh in, in Bible times, it was, it was used for two things. One, it was a sweet-smelling perfume. But two, it was also an ointment for healing. And, but it came from this tree, and you had to take the leaves, and you'd put it in this, this bowl, kind of like a pharmacist would use, and they'd crush it and just grind it. And it was through that crushing and grinding that the sweet-smelling aroma would come out. And, and this, this ointment that could heal people would come out. And I kind of think of that like it's, we have to be crushed and persecuted for that, that sweetness that God has put in us to come out so that the world could see who Christ is. Because anybody could be happy, anybody could have joy in, in that when, when things are going great, you know, when they're rich and wealthy. But when some kind of tragedy happens or, you know, when you're suffering for a long period of time and you're full of joy and you're displaying who Jesus is, you know, the world doesn't really have an answer for that other than that Jesus must be real. And it was pretty amazing, about six months after I lost my arm, I was getting on a bus and this guy came up to me. He's probably 18, 19 years old. And he's like, hey, you're Joe McGuire. He goes, you don't know who I am, but my mom, she worked at one of the hospitals you were in. And, and she died a year ago from cancer. But the last two years she was alive, all she could talk about was you. How you had these horrible circumstances, you were suffering greatly, you had so much pain. Yet you had peace and joy and hope and you're worshiping God and, and that just encouraged her so much and she ended up getting saved and, and I ended up getting saved from it and, and he thanked me and, and it just blew me away because I didn't even know that that lady existed. I, I, I still today, I, I don't know what she looked like, I don't remember her name, anything about her. 
And and it just made me realize like how many other people are there out there that that God used me suffering and what I went through to affect their lives and to show them God. And and it just totally changed my perspective on suffering and going through hard times. And so all those things, I just think about them as like these this quilt and the blocks. They all were just little pieces and parts that built up to making the whole quilt. And that you had to like go through the suffering of hooking them all together and the detail of making it all fit. I'm associate producer Morris Chestnut. Welcome to episode six of GFC Productions presentation of Jesus and Big Joe. That's what we're connecting. That's how we're all connected. Uh, we really are truly a machine. God. And yeah, now we're measuring, it, we're bending. We actually have vendors where just like yes, bending rebar. Equipment. Uh, we have yeah, whole trays so. of things. By the time Dr. X performed his eighth surgery on Big Joe, his shoulder was unrecognizable. In fact, most of it was completely gone, taken from him during those six irrigation and debridement procedures. But after the infectious disease specialist reported that between the six IND surgeries and antibiotics that, quote, the infection has had to be eradicated, Joe would be subjected to a second fusion surgery. Dr. X explained to Big Joe that he needed to destroy his rotator cuff during the procedure, and that this time, instead of using four screws, Dr. X would use 14. The record of the surgery states that when it was done, Big Joe was awakened and taken to the recovery room in, quote, satisfactory condition. That second fusion was the ninth and final surgery Dr. X would perform on Big Joe. And by the time it was done, all the talk of machinery and Home Depot and rebar seemed to fit. It was ugly. <laughs> it was terrible looking. Oof. And I've seen his x-rays. They're nasty looking, you know, so many. It looks like train tracks all the way through. But it wasn't just his shoulder anymore. Between the surgeries, the infection, the pills, Big Joe's body had reached its limit. I mean, like there were times where he almost died and, and there were times when I would like, like I told you, I'd go to work, pray, 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 where I did not think he was going to come through ended up getting diagnosed with what's called TTP, this blood disease where I was getting these clots in my veins because my body wasn't producing new platelets. It wasn't circulating the platelets. You know, I almost died from that. I remember my dad was driving me to the hospital to get a, a, a blood transfusion one Saturday morning. And I guess I was like hallucinating on the way there. I was telling them there's pirate ships and on the freeway and stuff. And I get to the hospital and, and I take two steps and I guess I collapse and just start convulsing on the ground. And they take me in and I guess I had a third of the amount of, of blood that I was supposed to have in my body. And I wake up in the hospital in the ICU and, and all my family's in there and everybody's just staring at me. I didn't know this until months later, but they had told my dad that, that I was going to die that day, that I had less than a day to live. And, and he had to come back and tell my mom and, and get all everything ready for me basically to die. They put me on what's called plasmapheresis, where it's almost like dialysis. They circulate your blood, but instead of 
you know, just cleaning it and putting it back in. It, it took out the, the platelets and they put donor platelets in. Completely helpless, Brenda stood at the foot of her son's hospital bed. Overwhelmed by a desperation only a loving mother can know, she did the only thing she could think of. She captured a video as the machines extracted, processed, and recirculated her son's blood. The plasma, say hello, there's a nice nurse it's saving your life. I did that for a couple of months. And then um, I remember the last time I did that, they pulled the, the stent out of my neck where they were connecting it. And then I laid there for about 10 minutes and I got up to go to the bathroom and I had a stroke in the bathroom. When I watched Brenda's video, I discovered a tattoo of Big Joe's I'd never seen before. In large, bold letters across his stomach, there's a question permanently etched. W-H-Y? When infection happens, it can be a, a disaster. And we see these all the time. I shouldn't say all the time. We see these on, the, on these occasions. Looking back to that, you know, there was three other people that got operated on in that hospital that day. And the other three got that same infection. And within six months, all three of them were dead. Lost to follow up. A phrase with a thousand meanings and even more interpretations. I, I kind of felt like they just kind of abandoned me over there at that place where they just kind of stopped seeing me, stopped taking my calls, trying to kind of distance themselves from me for some reason. Every medical school graduate recites the Hippocratic Oath. At graduation, these are the words Dr. X would have said. I will remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh a surgeon's knife or a chemist's drug. I would not be ashamed to say, I know not, nor would I fail to call in my colleagues when the skills of another are needed for a patient's recovery. Did it ever cross your mind where you're just like, you know what, me and Joe are not meshing. I need to send this guy somewhere else. At that point in time, I did not feel that it was necessary to refer him out to someone, to someone else because they did, would do the same things. After Big Joe was lost to follow up, he was seen by two more surgeons. Both quickly concluded that they knew not and that the skills of another were needed to help Big Joe recover. So they referred him elsewhere. In another instance where you'll have to choose whether you see meticulous weaving of our divine author or a simple coincidence, Big Joe wound up at the same place where his original idol, the game that had promised him everything he had thought he wanted, had abandoned him. They were the, the best at what they did, yeah. and so that's who they referred me to. He was sent to me because uh, the other orthopedists were finding it difficult to try and salvage his extremity and eliminate the infection and work with his pain and so forth. So that's how I first met him. Big Joe found himself back at USC in the hands of the very same surgeon that had performed the first surgery on his shoulder. 
Once back at USC, Big Joe was diagnosed with chronic instability and an infection in his shoulder. Square one. I went up there and they took an x-ray and remember the x-ray technician was blown away. He's like, hey, what happened? Like, you're, you're missing your shoulder. Like, you're missing a three-inch chunk of your shoulder. Like, I've never seen this before. He was blown away. During a three-hour procedure, USC's surgeon removed the 14 screws and plate from Big Joe's shoulder. And as it turned out, he had not really returned to the recovery room in, quote, satisfactory condition. After that second fusion. We've taken off the muscles we call the deltoid. We take that deltoid muscle off. So all the muscles, like the deltoid, they're kind of out of the way while you're, you know, installing the things that need to be in there. Correct, correct. But that wasn't the case for Big Joe. USC's surgeon found, quote, There were also some separate screws that needed to be removed that were just through the puncture wounds in the deltoid. Joe lived six months of his life with three Home Depot screws drilled through a muscle in his shoulder. Puncture wounds, as the surgical record puts it. Stab wounds. When we spoke, Dr. X provided his perspective on his history with Big Joe. You know, look, at Coach, uh, Coach Belichick doesn't win every single game. You know, and if everyone can kind of point fingers at saying, well, you know, well, that's always Monday morning quarterbacking. To be frank with you, when I first met him, I actually didn't believe he was an, uh, an interior lineman. I said, this guy's might have been a basketball player. This guy's too skinny. He was thin, emaciated, uh, gaunt, not well kept, clearly uh, under the influence of uh, drugs, uncomfortable, and in my opinion, he was a bit uh, malnourished as well. I, you know, I, I read his, his history, and I, but I was thinking, man, he was a tight end or something, but he, I, you know, I never would have thought that he weighed 370 pounds at one time. The thing about Dr. Menendez is this. He is the final stop. We didn't paint a rosy picture, though. We hang some of the black bunting a little bit. I had some reservations from day one about being able to save his arm. And then they brought in this other idea where they were going to take part of my back and, and use a bone graft and try to do this thing. And, and I remember at that time just thinking, like, this isn't going to work. I, I know that I'm going to lose my arm. I should just do it. But I had everybody telling me, like, no, you need to do it. You need to do everything you can to keep your arm, and even the doctors. And, and that made sense, too. But I just, I just knew this isn't going to work. And, and so they, you know, I did the surgery, and it was like a 16-hour surgery. It was crazy. It was horrible. And then that didn't really work. And I remember I was going to the doctor, and, and the last few times I went to see Dr. Menendez, I was thinking, like, man, is this going to be the day that they tell me, like, you're going to lose your arm? Once that last uh, attempt failed, uh, we had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with him and said that you're in a bad spot and that it would be very, very reasonable to do an amputation. I just prayed on it and going back to the vision where God 
showed me how my arm cut off and showed me all the good that was going to come out of it. That really comforted me and gave me peace to do it. And I was able to look at it and, and know that, that God was over it. It wasn't just the vision. Big Joe was sure there was another way God had shown him what he needed to do. There was a verse that was kind of near to me, Isaiah forty thirty one. It's kind of a famous verse where God says that those that wait upon me, they'll gain new strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles and they'll run and they won't grow weary. They'll walk and they won't faint, you know, and how God promises like this, this strength and, and this empowering to people that are, are waiting and trusting upon him. And then it was getting closer to the time where they were actually going to do the amputation. And for some reason, I, I kept getting this number, this verse popping in my mind, Isaiah 41, 13. And I was like, no, it's Isaiah 40, 40 31. You know? And then I kept thinking 41, 13. And I didn't know if I was just having like this dyslexic moment or something or just getting numbers confused in my mind. And after about a week of this, I looked it up and it says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. And when I, I saw that, it, I mean, it was such a, a comfort and, and a confirmation to me that I am doing the right thing, going through with the amputation and that, because it was like, God is holding on to my right hand. And, and But then it also spoke kind of to me going forward, because before that, everything to me was about my strength, my physical strength, and being the strongest person, and, and all of that. And that's what the right arm of the Lord speaks of in the Bible, that it's, it's all about, it's a, a symbol of, of His strength and His power. And it was almost like when I, when I saw that, God was like saying, hey, there's going to be this transaction. I'm going to take your right arm. I'm going to take your strength, everything that you thought was valuable and important. And I'm going to take that from you, but I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to empower you going forward. And that's exactly what's happened since, since we, I had that amputation and that just this, this closeness to God and feeling His presence, but also His empowering. I was talking to Steve, and, and at this time, Steve wasn't really going to a church either. He was just doing the Bible study at his house, and, and he was going to try this new church. And, and so I was like, cool, I'll meet you there. So I go with my mom, and, and we go to the church service, and the service gets done, and I, and I go out, and I'm looking for your Steve, and I can't find him anywhere. So I call him up. I'm like, where are you at, man? He's like, I think you went to the wrong church. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, dude, the, the pastor's still in the middle of his sermon. It's all, it's very weird when you look back at how things happened and how you didn't think that that was good and you thought it was bad when it was happening. And then now you look at it with completely different eyes and you think it was actually good. And then the next week came along and my mom's like, hey, you want to go back to that church again? And I was like, sure. And the next week the same thing and and you know i've been going to that church now for going on five years we stopped by that church and joe's in there and he's like where are you steve steve wasn't there and apparently steve was at another church but 
God brought us to that church. And I actually think something happened when God, when he was in the hospital and his arm cut off. And I think God humbled him right down. Like, hey, you know, you don't have your arm. You're going to be somebody without that arm, you know, and you're going to be better now. And I think he is better now. Big Joe wasn't just improving spiritually. After years of torment, he could finally remember what it was like to live without severe pain. I mean, even when he first came back in his first post-operative visit, he was in much less pain. It was clear to us that he could see his future now. Uh, it was a pretty remarkable recovery, and we were, we were very thankful for that. Today, Big Joe no longer asks why, because he knows why. As hard as it was and, and not understanding and, and how God could give me this amazing gift to be so athletic and be so good at something and then to take it away. And I was, got so depressed and so angry and, and didn't understand it. But looking back now, I could totally just see God's grace over it and, and how he took me out of football because of a shoulder injury. But I got diagnosed with um, a form of epilepsy that they said was from brain damage, from having too many concussions from football. And it just made me think, if I continued to play football, if God didn't make me stop playing football because of my shoulder, what would be the state of my mental health right now? I, I'd probably be brain dead. And, and how God made me hurt my arm and not be able to play football because of that was actually a, an act of His grace to preserve me for something else he had for me. Skip was a cash-only type of guy. He lived life on the fringes. Juvenile hall, jail, drugs. But it was that man that gave Big Joe his first Bible and told him he should give his life back to God. Steve was a distant high school acquaintance, a guy who didn't know him well, but like everyone around him at the time, had shared the vision of Big Joe's future in the NFL. And he introduced Big Joe to grassroots Christian community at his Bible study. A third diamond was all that was needed to complete the tumbling block. A little bit after I lost my arm, I, I went to one of the Bible studies there, and Mike was overseeing that, that men's group. And I started talking to him, and, and we really connected. God just brought us together at such a uh, strategic time in each other's lives. Mike was a pastor at Big Joe's church. I met him about a year after I lost my arm. And so I had just gone through that five-year span of just intense suffering. And I was just coming out of it and starting to do things again and starting to be active again. And then I met Mike, and, and he had just had this 18-hour surgery for these tumors in his stomach and, uh, and was just starting chemo. Maybe I would say he was a role model in a sense because he showed him that he could do it and that he was lucky. Maybe not just that he could do it, but that he was lucky to be able to do it. He had just been diagnosed with cancer and we were going to kind of help and I was going to encourage him and, and I was feeling God calling me into to ministry and, and he was going to kind of disciple and, and mentor me in that area and, and God really used us in each other's lives at that time. 
And then he, he mentored me and showed me how to do those things and showed me how, displayed for me what servant ministry looks like, what Christ-like ministry looks like. And I'm so thankful for that. And I can't wait till, you know, I get to, to see him in eternity and thank him for it. There were very similar situations in that the death portion of the, the scariness of the sickness and all that. And the realization that Joe got out of it, and then his friend wasn't going to get out of it. God took Mike before I could sit down with him. And while his time with Big Joe had been limited, it was long enough to complete the tumbling block. I think even made his heart a little softer. So every little tumbling block, if you will, was all just getting, is changing and I, I say softer in a good way that he's more compassionate and more caring and more loving and not afraid to show his feelings, not afraid to extend himself to others. When Mike passed away, it was often Big Joe who filled his shoes at the Bible study where they had originally met. Then all of a sudden the transformation happens, but you realize that it's all of those building blocks, all those things that add up to make the transformation. If you would have told me that I was going to even be just a Christian, I would have thought you were crazy. Much less somebody that is like, not just what dominates their life, and somebody that's gone to Bible college and now is teaching the Bible and going to school to become a pastor. I would have thought you were completely crazy. Yeah, it, it's just uh, amazing. Going back to high school, I was saying that there, there wasn't a God, and I was sure of it, that, that there was no way that God even existed. Now to be in a position where I couldn't imagine not believing in God, how I even did that, it's, it's, it's crazy to, to think about the power of God and His ability to change lives. Next week on the seventh and final episode of GFC Productions' presentation of Jesus and Big Joe. God on earth, suffering the servile supplicium, the slave's punishment, the most wretched of deaths. But why? Why would God choose that fate for his only son? At this moment, we're going to call the, the students one by one to receive their diplomas. I think the most important thing, at least for me, is I think today I'm a lot more like Jesus than I was two years ago. And that's really our goal, right? To press forward into the upward call of Christ Jesus. And he's going to be able to go and serve the Lord, and, and he has the Holy Spirit in him. I know he does. Lexi, do you want to get in the suitcase? You want to go to Jerusalem? You could go for walks where Jesus was? A fisher of men is somebody that's trying to catch and save souls, really. They had spent their whole life trying to catch fish to feed people. Now they're going to go out and try to turn souls. Jesus and Big Joe is brought to you by GFC Productions. For updates, behind-the-scenes content, and special offers, follow GFC Productions on Facebook and Instagram at 
at Jesus and Big Joe, and on Twitter at at Jesus and Big Joe. I'm Morris Chestnut, the associate producer. The producer and writer is Kyle Hogan. Be sure to subscribe to Jesus and Big Joe on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Become eligible for giveaways of exclusive merchandise like gear signed by me, associate producer Morris Chestnut, by leaving a review of Jesus and Big Joe on one of the podcast platforms and emailing a screenshot of it to gfcpromotions at protonmail.com. Only reviews left within three weeks of the original launch date are eligible. The score for Jesus and Big Joe is performed by Aaron Hill. All I Have is Christ, originally written by Jordan Coughlin. Copyright 2008. Sovereign Grace Praise BMI. Sovereign Grace Music is a division of Sovereign Grace Churches. All rights reserved. The song was used by permission. Administrated worldwide at www.capitalcmgpublishing.com. Excluding the UK, which is administrated by Integrity Music, part of the David C. Cook family. You can visit Sovereign Grace Music at www.sovereigngracemusic.com. Audio editing, mixing, and mastering was done by Resonate Recordings. Visit GFC Productions' website at www.gfclife.com and subscribe to their email list for updates, information, discounts, deals, and more. A special thank you to Calvary Chapel, Sovereign Grace Music, the McGuire family, and everyone who made it possible to tell the story of Jesus and Big Joe.